Top Hill Recording Podcast, Episode 2, back in here tonight with Neil. What's up, Neil? Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing fine. We got a very interesting guest tonight. We got Jen Yates with us. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm great. Excellent. Good to hear from you. I'm glad we could hook up. We haven't much experience at all with remote broadcasting so you're our you're our first remote guest well i'm happy to be the first <laughs> well, you may have to walk us through it too you got a lot of experience in this stuff so you, know, you may be having, having to take care of us here <laughs> i do have to say neil i am a little bit nervous you know interviewing a professional interviewer <laughs> <laughs> yeah it makes it a little bit different i was just laughing about that guys i was just saying how interesting it is to not be asking the questions this go around and being being asked questions instead again don't be too hard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't judge us oh, I, will not, I don't judge i don't judge awesome so neil and i we always like to have a little bit of bourbon with our podcast all right and, that sounds uh, good yeah neil. well if, you, if you're ever in town uh with at some point i will be come up i will be part. soon yes i i am only out of town because of the covid stuff right now um and yeah, uh okay. everything that i do work-wise uh, got transferred to online so I came back home because my health had been in question and uh, I wanted to be around family and friends uh, during this time and then uh, as soon as I got down here they shut everything down in Louisville so uh, yeah. I just been waiting it out to see what's what's gonna happen you know yeah. how's uh, how's the health um, the health is okay. I'm not going to know a lot more about it until a little bit later when I get all these tests run. Um, but I took a fall in 2018, October, and basically had some nerve damage due to that. And I started losing feelings in my hand. I'm a professional Ooh, drummer by trade. No. Yeah, and uh, I noticed my health declining, and it's just gotten worse. It's gotten worse to where uh, I have trouble walking, and, uh, you know, balance is gone, and it's just deteriorated pretty slowly over the past couple of years. So yeah. I am uh, getting tests run and stuff like that. So I'll keep you updated on what, what yeah. we find out. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, we wish you the best on that. Thank you. You know, I've been drumming since I was three years old, and I'm almost 42. So to not be able to do that, what you love to do, and what you've always done, is uh, it's been a detriment so far. So, And when you, uh, when, you, when you can't do what you love, especially as busy as you are and as much as you do and contribute to the uh, music scene, I could imagine the yeah. agony it puts you through not being able to do what you love to do all the time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And there was a time there, 2014, I toured the United States and Canada. I did 170 shows in nine months. So, I mean, I was really, I was really pushing my body and, uh, you know, and drums are very physical and not having a tech, you know, having to do most everything myself um, has been a struggle. So every time I have played within the past which we haven't been able to play for a little while, but I've done a few online shows. Um, you know, it's been a struggle. So it, it worries me. I'm not going to lie. Well, we'll definitely have to hear about that tour when we get into this a little bit. That sure. Sounds, uh, sounds interesting. But we'll remotely cheer with you. Cheers, Neil. Cheers and cheers, Tonight, Jen. Thank I'll you cheers, for coming. Y'all. I'll cheers my coffee. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. Tonight, Neil and I are having larceny. Love it. Heaven Hill weeded bourbons. Jim, we usually just start, and uh, I've read your bio, and I've been floating around everything you have out there, or a lot of it, and there's a lot of Jen Yates out there to, to, <laughs> to look at, so well, it's, uh, I will. it's been interesting. Thank you. I will say um, I've been on the internet since the inception of the internet. I got my website right away, and at one point, if you Googled women drummers, I was like the top two to pop up right under Sheila E., um, oh, yeah. 
So I have been out there and I have always said that I would live stream my entire life if I could, because I've always been a camera person, a technology person, um, and I've put myself out there as much as possible. Let's go back. Uh, we usually start the show with early experience with music, and I've, I've seen you've uh, you've talked and written a lot about starting drumming at, at three years old. You just mentioned that. So how did that come about? Well, my dad was a drummer, and uh, he started touring around Kentucky when he was 10 years old. This was back in the 60s, you know, and 70s. So oh, wow. um, he was uh, – he was – I was in a very musical family, the Yates family side of my family very musical my great uh, my grandmother played uh, dulcimer banjo organ um and guitar and sang and i have a lot of bluegrass musicians on the eight side uh three of my um family members play drums and my dad was like the lone rock and roller of the group so he put me on a kit as soon as i was out of the womb basically you know and, and i was in the womb my mom carrying me around to his gigs. So I was hearing drum beats while I was in, instilling my mom, you know? So, um, I, you know, didn't really know what I was doing for many years, but I come from Adair County, which is known in Kentucky to be, have one of the best marching bands in the state. And they're still winning and they've won since the sixties or since the inception of, uh, Kentucky, since they've had that, um, KMEA, you know, marching band championships. So where yeah. I'm, where I'm from, sports were not a thing. Music was the thing. And, uh, if you're, if you were in the Adair County marching band, then you put your kids in that band and their kids in that band. And it was a tradition kind of thing. So, um, I remember my dad teaching me the five stroke roll. One of the rudiments, you know, is I, I, before I even have any memories, uh, every memory mm -hmm. I have in my lifetime has involved a drum set. So, um, I've been That's playing cool. since I was awesome. two or three. I'm not even for sure how old I was, but, uh, you know, by the time I was 12 or 13, I had a garage band and my dad had a space and he was a drum collector. So I was around all these vintage drums and he was Ooh. around great musicians who, uh, kind of fostered me. And then when I was 15 years old, there was a knock on the door from some guys and they were coming to look for a drummer they were going to ask my dad to drum for him they had gotten a gig opening for tim mcgraw at the uh little county fair here in adair county and they my dad said i don't want to do it but i want you to pick up my daughter and so they did and of course i right away was immersed into a group of experienced players who were you know in their 30s and i was a teen and uh i kind of got fostered in country music and southern rock you know, right away. And uh, in school band, I was playing jazz, you know, and I, I played country my whole life. So, uh, yeah, one of my first gigs was opening up for Tim McGraw, and uh, it just went from there. Uh, Kentucky Headhunters lived next county over. Uh, I opened for them by the time I was 16, and then I went on to, to uh, work in radio from 16 on till now, still doing it at LRS. 102. So um, I ran Greg Martin, the lead guitar player for uh, Kentucky Headhunters radio show um, when I was about 19 to 21. And then I moved to Louisville. I took a job with Warner Brothers, an affiliate there. And that brought me to Louisville. And uh, I always worked media all throughout until I was 30 years old and did music on the side. But I was always immersing myself into multiple groups of different styles of music and uh, writing and putting out records with different bands. And, you know, I just did everything I could. And then at age 30, 
I got laid off. I was working as a news bureau chief for Westwood One doing uh, radio news and politics and a bunch of stuff I hated. And <laughs> Not music, huh? <laughs> it wasn't music, but I saw an ad in the Leo that was looking for a drum instructor for mom's music. And I applied for it and got it. And uh, Max Maxwell and Marvin Maxwell hired me to teach at Mom's Music, which I did for about 10 years before leaving and starting my own business. I started uh, Generation Studios um, about five years ago, and that is where I drive and go into kids' homes and teach them music privately. And I never looked back with the media stuff until... About last year, LRS, I was I was doing an interview for them on a record I'd put out with season one of The Voice, uh, Beverly McClellan. It was called Hillbilly Swagger, and I produced it and co-wrote it and rap oh. on it. And <laughs> yeah, and uh, they were interviewing me. And then after I got done with that interview, I got a phone call from Jim, the owner of LRS, the following week and he said hey you, you used to work for us and i did i had actually worked for b96.5 and lrs for a long time mm-hmm. before going into radio news and uh, he said you know we're looking for a female dj and they offered me my own show for two hours so i felt like i'd been out of media for a long time but i was going back in it for the music and so i i started using my platform to give other musicians a voice and other female drummers a voice and you know, just, uh, and so that's where we are currently. I am running my own business, uh, teaching kids now online, and I've got students from all over the world, um, even older women from Florida and Colorado and New York City, and uh, I've had students from New Zealand and all over. It's really cool. And uh, then I do my radio show Monday through Friday from 2 to 4. So when do you sleep? <laughs> well, these de- in my forties, I'm sleeping a lot more than I used to. I will say that I used to never sleep, and I used to hate to sleep, but now I love to sleep. So, yeah, that's that's quite a schedule and quite a lot going on. Well, yeah, not to mention you're you still put out material. You're still right. You still are playing music on the among all the other things we didn't you didn't even mention. <laughs> the music side of things. I so, know, yeah. not even yet. Yeah. Um, I actually am about to put out my own solo record. It's the first solo record I've ever done. And I produce it, write it, do everything, play every instrument on it. I only have a few friends here and there come on for guest appearances. Um, but I don't know if by the time this drops, it'll be ready or not, but, um, I do plan on putting out a new video this month for the LGBTQ community. Awesome. So what, how would you describe your genre, your music style on this uh, this recording? This- well, I love to say that I'm the lesbian Eminem and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I love it. You know, and here here's why I say that is I've done records in almost every style of music. Last year, I recorded at Dark Horse down in Franklin, Tennessee. That's Dolly Parton's personal recording studio. Oh, wow. uh, it's where awesome. Reba wrote Fancy and where uh, Martin McBride recorded Wild Angels. I mean, they had sold over 100 million gold records out of that studio and i did an americana record uh i've done blues records funk records rock and roll my whole life uh uh, pretty much everything you can think of i had done except for i had always had a love of electronic music and since the 80s i've been collecting electronic stuff and um electronic drums and you know studying phil collins and all the great electronic drummers out there and i wanted to venture off into that style so about Five years ago, I did my first electronic record that I produced, which was called Welcome to the Queendom. 
And uh, it was just me kind of coming out in my own music and doing my own thing. And then I did the Hillbilly Swagger record. And both of those records had a collab with an awesome vocalist. So the Queendom record had a collab with Juilliard Opera vocal grad named Renee Jansky from Arkansas. And she... She was a vocal teacher and a vocal and a piano teacher as well. And she, my whole life, I've been, to, I've been told that I have a great voice. Everybody always says that. That's the first thing I get is that, wow, I love your voice, you know? And when I was 16, I was discovered by a lady who owned the local radio station in Columbia, Kentucky. Uh, and she hired me immediately based on my voice uh, to have my own radio show from seven to midnight. It was on a a country station. So I started in radio really young and I knew I had a great voice, but I never used it for my music um, because I I play a lot of different instruments, drums being my forte, but I've never, until the Queendom record, I had never vocal, you know, did any kind of voice work because I'd never trained in that sense. Nor was that my strong point. I was always very scared to use my voice, you know, in in my music. So she encouraged me to start using my voice. And she started making me write uh, in between her stuff and do this hip hop stuff. And of course, me being a child of the 80s, um, you know, I I grew up. I had the first copy of The Message when it came out by Grandmaster Flash. And I've always loved, yeah, yeah, and I've always loved Salt and Pepper and Debrat and Queen Latifah and all those early Moni Love, those type of characters in hip hop. So hip hop was a true love of mine. And I, I, I didn't want to be made fun of for trying it, but Mm-hmm. I decided that I would use my voice in that sense. And then when Beverly McClellan came along, which she passed away in 2018 in the making of the Hillbilly Swagger record of cancer, mm-hmm. she probably was one of the best vocalists I had ever worked with. And, uh, you know, she just had an amazing voice and she was like, dude, I love all that hip hop stuff you're doing. And she came along in my life while I was working on the, the Queendom record. And she said, everything you're doing on that, I want you to do it in my record. Cause I was producing her stuff. And so then we started collabing and, uh, then we ended up with the project Hillbilly Swagger. So after she passed, I decided that, uh, you know, I had lost everybody around me, that I love to play music with. And I decided that, you know, I, I had a lot to say and that I could use my music as that platform. So the, the solo record um, that I'm putting out is all about me saying things that maybe I wouldn't normally say in my daily life, but I'm calling, you know, calling out the LGBTQ community. Like I see it, I'm writing about my personal experiences with dating and, uh, just, you know, I'm being uh, Stevie Nicks basically, or any other artist, <laughs> any other artist yeah. out there, you know, and that's probably why I can't get a date, but that's okay. <laughs> nope. they're, yeah. they're all afraid I'm going to write about them. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I do, so I can't blame them, you know? <laughs> So did you rap in Queendom? I do. That was, uh, well, that was my first venture at it. And I'm not on every track, but I definitely am on like three or four different um, tracks on that record. By the way, all these records I'm talking about, um, I have put out for free. I've never, ever, ever charged anybody for my personal music stuff. So if you want to go get a copy of the Queendom, Welcome to the Queendom. It's called Femtronica, Welcome to the Queendom. Or if you want to get Hillbilly Swaggers, drop a trailer on them, um, (laughs) then you can go to my YouTube. I've got them in playlist. You can listen to them there. You can go to Bandcamp and and put in $0 and download them for free. 
and uh, be, you know, stay tuned because I'm dropping all kinds of cool, crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually went to your YouTube channel and I, I think I listened to Queendom and I listened to, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, I think it's I heard fun. Bougie. Oh, Bougie, yeah. <laughs> that one. That one's actually on my solo record. That's one of the earlier ones. I have a block a bitch that I've released, <laughs> which is I, a whole Corona. story. Yeah. Oh, the Corona Hustle. The Corona Hustle with my Kentucky Beat Nick partner, yes. Nick, Nick yeah. Payne. Yeah. Now, that's uh, one reason we were really hoping we could do this in the studio. We were hoping you could bring him along and we could do a, we could record a few, but we'll do that <laughs> later down the road. Yeah. And if you need copies, I'll send them to you. Um, the Corona Corona Hustle, I have to drop this because this is going to be airing right around the time. Uh, I just got asked by Kentucky Anna Pride Foundation, who I'm good friends with, to submit a video for Global Pride because since They've canceled all the prides in June. They're going to do a one global one. So every state is going to have videos from artists in their state in the LGBTQ community. So they're going to drop the COVID hustle and global pride on global pride, which is supposed to have millions of viewers. I just saw the Dixie Chicks just announced they're going to be a part of it. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. So, so you must be a, not only a, an excellent musician and an excellent teacher, but an excellent at marketing. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've been told that. I never thought about it that way. But I think all my work in media and working in news and working behind a camera in, at the WB and, and editing audio and editing video for so many years of my life just helped me give get all the tools that I needed to do everything myself almost, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I usually, I'm really into the production these days. I really love to produce other artists, and I currently am producing other artists. Um, I just did a couple of tracks with the group called Griffey Town there in Louisville. Uh, That is Katie Renee and Rebecca Osborne, who is Joan Osborne's sister. They have a duo, uh, and I just recorded a couple of tracks for them. I just recorded with the Troubadours of Divine Bliss on their new record. Awesome. And, then, and then, of course, me and Nick Payne of the Kentucky Beatniks, we're uh, writing, you know, as much as possible and putting out stuff here and there, as well as me doing my solo stuff. So I always have four or five projects rocking, you know, it's at one time. That's insane. I mean, it is crazy, <laughs> the, the, the workload that you uh, take on. But, you know, Jenna, you come across as so enthusiastic about everything that you're doing and every project and on uh, on Instagram and, and anything that you do. It comes across so authentic and, and like, and you're, fun. yeah, you're all in Thanks. and it's a blast. And, and that's why I think that it's so maybe it's not marketing. It's just it's easy for people to gravitate towards you. Maybe. I hope so. We've never met, but it's um, just from afar, it seems like, man, she would be a lot of fun to be around. <laughs> Thanks. And it would be a good time. <laughs> well, I'm sure there would be people that would tell you the opposite. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, in my 40s now, in my late 30s, I started to figure out that I was not going to do anything um, musically unless it moved my soul kind of thing and mm-hmm. um and i wanted to work with really authentic players who I, I believe you know both everybody i've worked with along the way i truly believed in or i wouldn't have done the project so mm-hmm. um there was a time where i was in a cover band uh for many years i was filling in for most wanted for a while and um it just wasn't fun to me the people weren't fun i, I wasn't having fun it was more like a job and mm-hmm. so after that i just kind of you know 
my work with Beverly McClellan and my work with Renee Jansky on both of those records that I did um, just made me, I mean, we had so much fun writing those things. You know, we would just lock ourselves in a room and laugh until we cried about some of these lyrics we were writing, you know? And, <laughs> and I, when I listen back to them now, which is rare, but when I do, I, they make me so happy. And I'm just like, at this point in my life, you know, life is short, so we're not promised tomorrow. I want to do good work and uh, I want to have fun doing it. So if it doesn't, if it doesn't feel authentic or feel like it's going to be a fun project, then I won't even consider it, you know? So I have to throw this out there. You were talking about the message and salt and pepper. And, yeah. And, uh, so I remember my first female rapper that I really got into and listened to a lot was MC light. MC oh light. yeah. I you love her. I don't even remember MC light. Do you? No, no? I do. I, I vaguely remember. <laughs> I'm vaguely remember <laughs> MC light, but if I do, yeah, that's good. MC light. I follow her on Twitter. She's a great follow. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you know, all was- those old female rappers are still kind of hanging out and they're still kind of a, you know, they're kind of in their own little group kind of thing. So I see them tweeting each other all the time. And uh, I, I try to stay up on social media quite often. Like I said, I, I'm, I've never been afraid to put anything out there that I ever do in my lifetime. So it, like <laughs> if I could have a live stream rolling at all time that people could just log in, I would just let them log in, you know. <laughs> that would probably be a pretty interesting channel. Yeah, you, could probably, yeah. you could probably make that happen, honestly. You yeah. Make some money doing that for sure. I guarantee I could. I've thought about it for quite a long time now. <laughs> so you were in high school and doing the marching band thing, and then yes. you got out of high school, and, and sounds like you played with – a lot of bands. I have. I mean, I can't even tell you how many bands I've played with at this point. It's been so many. It's definitely well over in the hundreds, maybe not thousands at this point, it feels like. Um, (laughs) But yeah, because I was just kind of a side player, you know, I always had my own projects that I was trying to create myself. But at the same time, people would always call me to side gig for them, you know, fill in for this drummer or fill in for that drummer or, um, you know, I would I, I started getting labeled as a rock drummer there in Louisville, which annoyed me, even though I was a rocker at heart. I, they didn't know I was, you know, trained in jazz and I'd played country my whole life and Southern rock. And, uh, you know, I had all these other styles under my belt, but I wasn't getting recognized in that sense. So I started doing theater and orchestra stuff because I was like, I read great and I taught for 12 years, you know. So I started taking musicals about nine or 10 years ago. And, uh, I probably have about 20 or 30 of those under my belt now, you know? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and I did that on purpose. Uh, one was because my therapist told me that I had trouble staying present all the time, which I credit to drumming because (laughs) drumming is nothing but muscle memory. And I've been doing it for so long that I can get behind a kid. And if it's just a real basic, like pop song or rock song, I can't, I don't even think about what I'm doing. My hands just do it because that's just what they're used to doing. So um, if you've studied anything about drumming, and I love to quote Mickey Hart from The Grateful Dead, uh, he has a book out there called Drumming, uh, The Edge of Ma- or the Edge of Magic of Drumming, or The Magic of Drumming, something like that. Or Drumming on the Edge of Magic, I think is what it is. And he talks about how rhythms can make you go into trance-like states. So if you play the right tempos and the right speeds and all this stuff, they definitely can put you into a trance-like state because of the muscle memory. So I feel like I've done it so much my whole life that I have to constantly remind myself to stay in the moment instead of it, my brain going somewhere else when I'm playing. 
So because of that, my therapist said, you have trouble staying present. And she said, why don't you take a musical? Because you're going to have to read like 200 pages of music a night. And you're going to be doing runs of like a month or two months of runs of shows. And so I took her advice on that. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you get lost in a musical or an orchestra piece, then good luck because yeah, you're, you're done. gone. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> and I do feel like that is about one of the hardest things that you'll ever do is musical theater and orchestra. When you were, uh, when you are drumming in those situations, are you at a full kit? What is the, what, is, what are you behind? Well, in, in, what situation? Because it definitely depends like on the musical. Yeah, like if you're playing in the pit of a yeah. of an orchestra, are you behind a, a regular standard kit? Well, it depends on the musical piece. Um, I have played orchestra pieces that required drum set, but usually they'll give you a list on the score of everything you're about to have to play, and then they they section it out: percussion one, percussion two, percussion three. So usually, like one's on a set where two percussion two might be bass, drum, cymbals, you know, whatever it is. Um, but when you're doing or musical theater, I'm always usually behind a kit um, plus the orchestra stuff. So I feel like. You know, in musical theater, they'll give you a list of everything you need, and it's usually a list of like thirty different items. And <laughs> and uh, nowadays, they're even writing electronics into that. If you if you look oh, at wow. when the first one I did was Rent the musical, and I've done that one twice. Um, that is a mix of electronic and acoustic drums. So you know, you have to kind of know your stuff. And uh, good luck flipping pages and getting to everything you need when you need it. Sometimes you know, if you don't have enough hands, you've just got to leave it out the parts. So. It just depends on this situation. But in a live band situation, I'm usually behind a kit for sure all the time. That's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing to think, okay, here's here's the 30 things to put in front of your face, and don't you miss, make sure you turn the page. That's Yeah. Are these different chapters in your life, or is this all going on at the same time? You know, you're doing musicals and you're playing with bands. Oh, it's, yeah, it's all at the same time. <laughs> oh, Wow. That's probably why I'm having health issues right now. I'm just telling you because I've drove those drums across the world, you know, and just, man, when I toured, I decided for some reason I wanted to tour with the 26 inch bass drum, which is like one of the, you know, oh. big, big daddy. They're usually yeah. 22. So, uh, I mean, you know, as far as hauling three, 400 pounds of equipment everywhere, that's what I've done my whole life, you know. So you might just be a 40 year old person with uh, 80 years on your body. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Basically, yes. Yeah. No uh, there was one day, for example, there was one gig that, well, five, I did five gigs in one day and I added it up. I played a total of 14 hours out of 24. Oh that's oh how, I, that's how much I pushed my body in the drumming. I'm sure you loved it, but by the end of it, you were. Done. Oh, by the end of it, I was toast by that last gig. The last gig I had that day was three hours long. And uh, that was, I will say though, I did get some really cool experiences out of that. I got to open for Taylor Dane and I got oh. to open for the gin blossoms all in the same day. Oh, um, cool. And then I played, uh, I forget what it was. It was like a beer, some kind of beer, beer convention, which was interesting. And then uh, <laughs> ended up playing a show for three hours that night for pride. So it was just, wow. it was just one thing after another. And I had to get a tech and uh, I had two drum sets there. And basically I would have the guy go in front of me and set the drum set up. So the, by the time I got there, I just had to play it. And then I'd go on to the next one and then he'd come back to the other one and grab the set and then move it to the next, you know, we kind of had the logistics worked out pretty well. I bet your tech was almost as exhausted as you were by the end of that night. Yes, he was, <laughs> but I paid him well. I, bet. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have done it without him. 
So are you still teaching music now? Yes, I am. In fact, I'm juggling that uh, through the week. And because of COVID, obviously, I couldn't go into households. So um, there was a little break there. And then I thought, what am I going to do with this? And then I had already, about five years ago, started Skype lessoning with people online. So I kind of already had that under my belt. I was ahead of the game on it. So when COVID hit, I thought, well, I'm just going to try to see if I can get all my students to go online because I'd already taught them in person. And about 50% did. They took me up on that. And so I've been teaching online every day, Monday through Friday, um, you know, and just giving lessons here and there. It's not as consistent as I would like it to be just yet, but uh, it's slowly building. Um, But here's the cool thing about that is You know, at first I was just teaching local there in Louisville, but since going online, it opened up a whole new world for me. I could now teach all over the world. Do you enjoy doing the online lesson? Because because of that, it it would mean like you got a ton more opportunities for business. You got people everywhere, like you said, that, that can access you. Everything surrounding COVID has led to different business models that may be changing the game completely. Is yeah. it gonna is it gonna do that for you? Do you think this is something that even after the fact you'll continue to utilize? I do. I think I will because I, uh, you know, I'm a part of a lot of drummer groups online. Uh, one of them being Drummer Girls United, which has almost seven thousand female drummers from across the world. There's female drummers from Iran in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've networked with all of these female drummers all over the world. Not just female drummers. I'm in a lot of other groups, but I tend to get more clients in the female drumming aspect because I am one. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I definitely will keep doing it. And, um, you know, if I can share my knowledge and sit behind my drum set and just log on on a computer, shoot, I don't even got to shower. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. But also in the radio sense of things, it also changed the game there, too, because my LRS show was all about locals. And uh, I would have people like you guys do come into the studio every day and talk to me. But now, because I'm online and I started doing the Zoom and other platforms recording, I ended up getting more national acts. I've gotten drummers like uh, Daniel Glass, who's like one of the top drummers known today that works for Vic Firth. And he doesn't work for Vic Firth, but he puts out, you know, he does the history of drums with Vic Firth. He knows every major drummer in the country. Um, You know, I just got Rich Redman, who drums with Jason Aldean. He came on my show and talked and, uh, I've had, you know, dude, the dude, John Fred Young from Blackstone Cherry, you know, came on my show. Those guys are not local to Louisville, you know. Uh, I'm getting Nashville drummers and drummers from all over the world now. So I'm like, you know, will I ever go back to just local? I doubt it. I just felt like it took my platform and made it more national instead of local. Yeah, I don't think things will be the same for any of us anymore. I mean, it'll be schools will be different. Mm-hmm. And work yeah. will be different. It's definitely a large change for everybody, and, uh, you know, I feel like that it's still a little early to open back up. I know the economy has to get rocking, but at the same time, I have a feeling if we pay attention to numbers and stuff, it's just going to get worse. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but I do feel like, you know, we might be locked back up at some point later on this year. You know, we'll see what happens. I hope I'm wrong again, but I do feel like it's it's going to change everything. Yeah, well, we got a real test coming in the next couple of weeks after yeah. we see what the the 
numbers are after all these protests because they have been yeah. unbelievable with the amount of people that have shown up, which I'm all for. I'm, I love it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I love seeing people march in the streets for stuff that they absolutely believe in. Hopefully, like you, these numbers don't go crazy. Right. I have a feeling, though, because we're already seeing the numbers skyrocketing from Memorial Day weekend and all that uh, stuff. That yeah, it that's... can only get worse. Oh, so with all your experience, Jen, and everything you've been involved in with music, what what stands out to you? What's like your favorite shows you've been in or favorite? Oh, what, man. What's the things that stand out to you? Does anything come to mind? Well, yeah, there's, plen- there's there, <laughs> I definitely have my top favorites. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, one of the huge career career highlights is definitely me landing a book with Sheila E. I mean, um, in 2014, and I have to tell the story because I love the story. If you don't know who Sheila E. is, well, you yeah, should. Well, heck yes. Everybody yeah. better know who Sheila E. Well, is. Well, you'd be surprised. Somebody asked me the other day. I posted a picture of me and Sheila E. And they asked me if that was my new girlfriend. I said, good Lord. If you don't know who Sheila E. is. And I had to educate them that she was Prince's drummer, female drummer, and probably one yeah. of the most famous female drummers of all time. But, you know, when I was growing up in the country, there wasn't a whole lot of female drummers around me. So I didn't see a lot. I, I knew of Sheila E. Um, and she was probably the first one. Um, my dad loved Karen Carpenter. So I was very educated on Karen Carpenter. Um, but, you know, as far as that, until Cindy Blackman Santana broke with Lenny Kravitz, I had not seen other female drummers other than those two. So, you know, I grew up a huge Prince fan and a huge Sheila E fan, and uh, I consider her my shero. I like to call her my shero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and about 24, I follow her online, and I follow Cindy Blackman Santana online. And so in 2014, I got a call, or actually an email, from a lady named Angela Smith. And she asked me, she said, I've seen all your work online, and I really want to interview you for this book I'm writing on women drum set players. And I got to look in, and there was no other books that had ever been written on women drum set players out there. There had been books on percussionists, women percussionists, but not specific to drum set. So I said, absolutely. She asked me a bunch of questions. I submitted a picture. She said, the book's going to be out in April. I'll send you information, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, great. Well, skip to, you know, this was like in December or something like that. We'll skip to around April. I see Cindy Blackman Santana post that she's going to be featured in this women drum set book uh, coming out in April. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I wonder if it's the same one. Surely not, right? So (laughs) then all of a sudden, a few days later, Sheila E. posts the book cover, and they had chosen my picture for the book cover. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Cover girl. <laughs> yeah, I made the cover of the first book on women drum set players, and underneath me are all my idols. Sheila E., Viola no Smith. way. Uh, uh, Cindy Blackman Santana is on there. Uh, Debbie Peterson, who founded the Bangles, which I eventually get to okay. meet later on in my career. Um, and Allison Miller, who's a great jazz female player up in New York City. I mean, there were all my idols on there. And I got up and ran around because Sheila E. had posted <laughs> it, you know, like a million times. Uh, skip to about two years after that, 2016, I get a phone call from Pam Yates Pribble, who runs um, Triangle Talent there in Louisville. And she said, you're on a book cover with Sheila E. I'm sure you've met her, right? And I said, no, I've never met her, but I'm on a book. You know, I'm very proud to be on that book. And she said, well, meet me down at the waterfront at 6 o'clock. You're getting ready to meet Sheila E. And I said, are you kidding me? And she said, no, be here in a couple hours. So I ran down there with my uh, former bass player, Sue, rest in peace. And uh, I got to meet Sheila E. And she autographed my book. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. What a cool story. That's a career highlight. 
I was just thinking when you were when you were talking about that. I went to see Prince at the palace right before he passed. Yeah, pretty with sure Hannah Weldon. Yeah, Kentucky, Kentucky yeah. drummer, right? It's another female drummer. Actually, she she's way younger than me, um, but I do know her instructor. She was a Louisville Leopards percussionist. She's also in the book uh, mentioned in there. Uh, by the way, you can get the book on Amazon.com. It's called women drummers a history from rock to blues to country to jazz okay and uh that's me on the on the cover my face is covered up with my hair but that's me <laughs> and you had no idea when you sent that picture in that it might be chosen for the cover huh not one clue man not one clue <laughs> that's awesome um i do want to mention though i do have one other highlight that really stands out and i've had a lot of really fortunate um you know a fortunate coverage since all that but um i've always just been in the right place at the right time i mean from my first gig being with tim mcgraw you know to boom it's just like magic happens to me all the time so uh i'm thankful for that but the other one was i went on an audition at actors theater my a friend of mine had read what was coming to actors and said, man, you've got to audition for this role. They're looking for a female drummer. And I said, well, I'm not an actor, but if they're looking for a drummer, then that's cool. So I went and auditioned for it. It was called Girlfriend. And uh, this was 2013. And man, 2013, 2014, 2015, pretty, pretty great years for me. Um, but I auditioned and I won. And the lady who hired me was named Julie Wolf. And Julie Wolf is a pretty well-known female producer and musician out in um, San Francisco, Berkeley area. And she toured with the Indigo Girls. She toured with Ani DeFranco, most of her career, a lot of it, and uh, had just produced Carly Simon and all kinds of cool stuff. She hired me for that gig, which I did in Louisville, and it became kind of a cult classic. It was an LGBT play, and it was based off of the record by Matthew Sweet called Girlfriend that dropped in the 90s, but it dropped a week before Smells Like Teen Spirit dropped. So that wiped it off the map when grunge kind of hit. And this awesome playwright took his record and wrote this whole play around it. So I got to play that. And then uh, after I did that, which was in a magical role, by the way, my bass player was Sarah Lee of the B-52s. And she toured with... Yeah, and she had toured with uh, Joan Osborne and uh, the Thompson Twins, uh, Robert Fripp. I mean, she had toured with everybody, and uh, she's still one of the you know best female bass players I'd ever worked with. And then Kelly Ritchie, and so I met Kelly Ritchie on that, and I went on to tour with her 170 shows on the road across the United States and Canada, and that was with freak bass it was me her and him and we were a a funk rock blues trio and uh, she already had years of experience of touring under her belt so i jumped on board and we did all the shows and freak bass the bass player he he had studied under bootsy collins uh they were both from cincinnati you know so i mean kelly's from kentucky lexington but she was living in cincinnati at the time so i got touring experience under my belt there and got to see a lot of the world and Canada was beautiful, you know, and just to meet people all across the world. It was a really cool experience. But after all that, Julie Wolf went out to L.A., and uh, they picked up Girlfriend to run in L.A., and she called me, and she said, look, we're switching up the band, but she goes, I really want to bring you in to L.A., and so I got hired, and I, they flew me out to L.A., gave me a multi-million dollar condo with a brand new car. <laughs> oh, wow. And, next, and next, thing, 
Yeah, bougie, yeah. <laughs> Remind me to tell you why I wrote that song later. It wasn't about myself. <laughs> but, but after that, I found myself um, parking in Kirk Douglas's parking spot. I was playing his theater there in Culver City, and I'm sitting there on stage, and this is, you asked me about career highlights, and I'm looking out. It only The theater only set about maybe 120 people, you know, so it wasn't that big. Um, but I was playing out there, and I have to mention my bandmates from that because it gets even cooler. My bass player in L.A. was Vivi Rama, who now tours with Kesha, and <laughs> she toured with Tegan and Sarah, and oh. she toured with Will I Am and the Black Eyed Peas and Nicole Scherzinger and the Pussycat Dolls. Oh and and then my lead guitarist was Janet Robin, who st- was the only female guitar player to study under Randy Rhodes, who wrote Crazy Train oh, for Ozzy. Um, and she even played, you know, was great friends with his wife and, um, she had toured with Lindsey Buckingham, a Fleetwood Mac. I mean, I was immersed in the most amazing players, you know, and I'm a little country chick from Kentucky just being like, <laughs> Whoa, this is amazing. I'm sitting there, I'm around plexiglass and I'm doing the show and I look out and I'm like, man, that looks like Courtney Love, you know, or hey, man, that looks like oh, Debbie yeah. Peterson of the Bangles or, <laughs> you know, or Meredith Baxter Brooks from Family Ties or Bruce Valanche from Hollywood Squares. And I'll be <laughs> damned if every single one of them wasn't sitting in the audience, you know, and I got to meet all of them. And it was it was just an amazing experience. And I just, you know, I couldn't believe it. And not only that, I'm an LGBT activist and, you know, I've been in that community for 25 years plus. And uh, the second night I got to L.A. was when the Supreme Court passed gay marriage so oh, awesome. my bandmates took me to WeHo they call it West Hollywood um, <laughs> for the first time ever on the night that uh, they passed the Supreme Court passed gay marriage so I was just like wow coming from a small town where you're told you're weird and you're not like everybody else it, to go into LA and being surrounded by everybody who's just like you you know I was just like wow it was just an amazing experience and uh, I love everybody that I was in the bands with and those two runs of girlfriend and uh, if you haven't heard the Matthew Sweet girlfriend record go get it it's one of the most beautiful records ever and uh, that was, you know, that was a career highlight. And I'm still in touch with all of my bandmates to this day that I spent time with. So um, those two, the book and Girlfriend Run in L.A., probably my two major highlights. Yeah, that seems amazing. So you know what we have yeah. last, Neil. The other thing, we have to go to the other side of that. You know, you've sure. got a lot of experiences. What stands out is like the show from hell. Well, you got experience. a hell gig. Oh. <laughs> oh, I've got the best show from hell gig ever. Uh, I've had a few in my day. Um, and I've had plenty of flops on stage when I was younger, you know. But I, I feel like... Stuart Copeland has a a famous saying where he says, if you're not making mistakes, you're not pushing yourself to your full potential. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that you have to make mistakes. And I try to educate my students on this. You have to make mistakes so that you know not to do that again. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. So um, as far as worst gigs ever, probably the one that goes down in history for me is I was playing uh, Glassworks there in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, you know yeah. that building? Yeah. Okay. Back in the day, glass the Glassworks buildings used to have shows on top of the building. Uh-huh. I forget how many stories that is, but it's like 20 or something like that, right? And yeah. <laughs> it's outside exposed, you know, to the gods, and you're looking down at all of Louisville. And so I had an all-female band called She Groove, and it was a seven-piece female band. And we had been, 
hired to play an outdoor gig on top of the Glassworks building with aerialists, which was I thought was fascinating. You know, they were going to do aerial things while we were playing for the crowd. Oh, wow. On the 20th yeah. floor of a roof on the Glassworks <laughs> building. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> right. So the day comes for the gig. And it's pouring down rain. It's a torrential downpour, and it's like a tornado warnings and all kinds of just bad weather stuff. So they decided to move it inside, which was kind of disappointing. But uh, I remember the riggers coming to rig up all the stuff for the area list, and they're rigging it different. You know, it's in the ceilings. And I remember asking them if that's going to hold and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, everything's fine, you know. So we're out there, we're playing our gig, and uh, we're probably about 30 minutes into the show, and the aerialists are all doing all these things with silks and hanging upside down from the ceilings and all this stuff, and I couldn't see anything. I have seven women around me, so I couldn't see nothing. I'm in the back. I'm the drummer, you know, and they just all turned in horror to me in the middle of a song, and I could tell by their faces that something was wrong, and they're like, stop playing, stop playing, and so I said, okay. I said, I'll stop. And so I stopped and I was like, what's going on? And they said that a girl had fallen upside down about six feet from the ground hanging and like her neck popped and she just laid there lifeless. And so everybody was just faces in horror. Nobody knew what to do is in the middle of the show. So we stopped playing. They call the ambulances, the paramedics. They come. She's not moving. You know, everybody didn't know whether she was alive or paralyzed or what. Um, They come take her out on a stretcher. And then we're all like, "Okay, talk about sucking the energy out of the room. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. We're like, we still had 30 minutes to cover. And so we were like, what do we do as a band? You know, what do you do in that situation? So we decided we would play one more song and then that would be the end of it. Um, And we would say a little prayer dedication to the lady who just got taken away. Uh, by the way, though, I totally called that because the rigging, I, d- I could tell by the, the riggers that something was not right with them. Um, so anyway, m- this is the funny part because the girl is actually now okay, so I can laugh about it now. Oh, that's good. My lead singer turns to me and she goes, um, I said, what song do we do? And she was like, something, something fun and light. And she goes, let's do Cindy Lauper's Time After Time because it was a cover band, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love that song. That's a great song, you know, whatever. We're in the middle of that song and the lyrics are, if you fall, I will catch you. I'll be waiting <laughs> time after time over and over again. And we're playing and it's just like, oh, God, this is not the right song to pick. Nobody... Nobody thought about the lyrics, you know, so that that is probably one of the most disastrous gigs I've ever had. Um, There's been a few other ones here and there, uh, but uh, that definitely sticks out in my mind as like torture. (laughs) That's hilarious. Every time I hear Cindy Lauper's time after time now, that's what I think about, too. It's just stuck in my visual forever with that song, you know, when I think of Cindy Lauper. I can't help but think of that YouTube video where the bird poops on her in the outside show. <laughs> have you all seen that? I don't remember that one. <laughs> no, but I, I have another great story about Cindy Lauper if you want to hear it. Yes. Okay, so first off, one of my great friends, Alex Nolan, tours with Cindy Lauper. She's been her lead guitarist for six years, and I've gotten to play with her. I was the house drummer at Michigan Women's Music Festival, so I got to network with all these amazing women. And that gig also was thanks to Julie Wolf, who hired me for a girlfriend. So, um, but... Cindy Lauper came to Louisville there at one point, and she was the the ambassador for the Derby or something like that. It seems like um, she was going to ride, you know, through the parade that kicks off Derby. I think I that. remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was working in the media at that time, and I landed uh, an interview with her, which I was very excited about because I love Cindy Lauper and I've always loved her. 
um, as a kid, you know, I was, I could really relate to uh, She's So Unusual, that record. And of course, who didn't love her in her, you know, I was a big wrestling fan and used to watch her in wrestling and all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. Yeah. yeah. Captain Lou Albano, man, you know, so yeah. Uh, she goes and she does her stuff, and that's when she drops the f bomb on national television, which she didn't know about. <laughs> they, uh, I do remember she, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, she was our um, I forget like ambassador, parade leader, whatever. Grand marshal, yeah. grand marshal. Yeah, that's what I'm is. looking for. Yeah, she was our grand marshal, and she went to sing, and her mic was not live at the event, but it was live on air that they were broadcasting it from. So everybody heard her cuss out the sound guy and drop the F bomb and all this (laughs) stuff. Well, she didn't know she had done it. So she, I was supposed to interview her right after this. So she does it. She comes back over. Uh, I'm all standing there ready to interview her. I'm all excited. I'm literally within five feet from Cindy Lauper, you know, and I, I was face, uh, by the way, I photobombed her several times and I have pictures on my Facebook <laughs> of me, me photobombing Cindy Lauper, which is one of my favorites, <laughs> but they come over right before our interview and they tell her, Hey, Cindy, they whispered in her ear that she had dropped the F bomb on national television. So then she canceled all interviews and I didn't get to interview her. Um, oh no. But, I did tell her, I was like, you know, I'm a huge fan, and yeah, we all drop the F-bomb, oh well, you know, that's just how it goes, and stuff like that, so (laughs) I've been to several concerts since, and uh, of course, I keep up with her, because my friend Alex online is her lead guitarist when they tour, so uh, I'm I'm still a big fan of Cindy Lauper, I don't care if she dropped the F-bomb, she can say F-bomb all day to me, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love Cindy Lauper, man. She's still Me good. Too. I think she's golden. I think she sounds as good now as she ever does, too. I've yeah. heard her recently, and it's yeah. like, man, yeah. she sounds amazing. And she looks great, too, still. And she must be. I mean, she's not you know, a young pup anymore. Yeah. The uh, other real quick story about Cindy Lauper is that Beverly McClellan, my best friend, and the uh, lead singer that was on The Voice Season 1, she got to sing with Cindy Lauper. There's an awesome YouTube video of them singing together while she, she was on Season 1 of The Voice. So they were just trying out The Voice. They didn't know if it was going to really take off. But Bev got into the finals, and uh, she got to got to be mentored by Cindy Lauper. And she would tell me all kinds of cool stories about her. In fact, she told me um, – that she whispers on purpose. You know, she talks very soft and uh-huh. she's very, very soft spoken. And um, she told Bed that she does that one to save her voice, but two, because people will lean in and listen to you more when you do that, which makes sense. Yeah. I was going to say is because she doesn't, she wants to like hide her accent or something because she's got that <laughs> I don't know. Bronx. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she does. <laughs> I love Cindy, though, uh, and if you get a chance, go look up Money Changes Everything live with Beverly McClellan. It's one of my favorite videos of Bev. Oh, awesome. Okay. So I got a couple questions. One, uh, sure. uh, your dad, what what type of music did he play? Did he grow up as a rocker? Oh, he loved rock and roll. He, he you know, he was bur- he was in marching band, so he's kind of a marching band guy. Uh-huh. Um and he loved, you know, uh, he, my dad actually loves all solid music across the board. And and what, that's one thing I love about my dad is that he was buying me DeBrett CDs when they first came out, you know. And, yeah. Um, I was highly educated on all styles of music, whether it be classical or the Grateful Dead or, you know, R&B or, you know, old school Motown, kind of stuff like that. But dad loved rock and roll. I mean, he he loved Jimi Hendrix. He grew up playing Hendrix and kind of, you know, all that early rock and roll. He loved all that 70s rock and roll, you know. So 
I remember the first memory I have of music is going to a gig of his when I was about three, probably three years old. And uh, it was a house party and they were playing the Eagles. So the Eagles were like probably the first memory of music that I ever have of hearing music. But my dad, yeah, he was a total rocker. Um, big Led Zeppelin guy, you know, uh, Mitch Mitchell, Hendrix. He loved all the great drummers. He loved Cream, Ginger Baker. You know, I was educated on the things like Toad, which is the famous Ginger Baker drum solo and stuff like that. You know, just all kinds of stuff. He really loved that. But he also loved like Karen Carpenter and a lot of like soft stuff too, you know, air supply, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was very, very into music and he still is. I mean, he loves all styles. When when you have somebody that influences you, if they are real broad, and, and you get that part of the influence, I think that's gigantic to, for just opening you up, because there are so many different styles and sounds, and uh, which leads kind of to my second question. Sure. Personally, I'll, I play guitar and and sing, yeah. and I think the hardest thing to sit in as a drummer in somebody else's band. How in the world do you do that? Man, I don't know. I I really don't. I, I think um, I just, you know, I used to do it for money, but then I also did it because I loved music mm-hmm. and I wanted to be broad. And, um, you know, some of these gigs scared the shit out of me, but I did it anyway, you know, and I felt like maybe that was the best thing in the world that could have ever happened. But I just wanted my name out there as a drummer. And it's kind of funny because most drummers are synonymous with a band. Yeah. And I think because I did so much side playing that it helped make my name stand out as a drummer and not be synonymous with the band, you know, because I played in so many bands. So I don't don't know how to answer that question, but I just literally, I try to be as professional as possible if somebody tries to hire me. And I've said no plenty of times to projects I didn't believe in. So, Jen, Neil is a guitarist, but he has serious drummer's envy. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> I wish I could really play the drums. Yeah. Well. Whenever yeah. we're just around having jam sessions, he always ends up on the drums. I, I don't even want a guitar in my hand. It's like, why is anybody <laughs> right. else playing the drums other than me? This is bull crap. I, I love that. Back there. Seriously, I love it. Well, I, I feel the same. About, I, like, I love to play guitar. I actually play rhythm guitar pretty well, but uh, I can't do any leads or anything. But I know my first positions and a few scales mm-hmm. and things like that. Um and I have a hard time doing that. You know, I tried to start on get on guitar when I was a kid, but my fingers, I couldn't, they weren't strong enough to press down the, the, the strings and stuff. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, just, I naturally gravitated toward rhythm, but you know, I like to tell my students, if you're into music theory, theory at all, um, because I'm very theory, uh-huh. but, uh, you know, you can have rhythm without melody, but you can never have a melody without rhythm. So yeah. rhythm is the main foundation of everything you're about to play. Yeah, which is bass and drums, you know, and then yeah. everything else is just uh, decorative, if you ask me. I love just yeah. a good bass and drum track. So. And we hear that from every good guitarist that we've talked to. They all say, I consider myself a rhythm player. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because, again, if you're playing melody lines, you're playing rhythm underneath those. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Everything is based off of rhythm. And, you know, once you learn rhythm, you can learn melody lines, too. And it's all based off of 12 notes. How crazy is that? that you know, every Everything that we have in music today, other than, you know, uh, music from like India and stuff like that, 
or Eastern Eastern music, you know, is based off of 12 notes in different octaves on different instruments, you know. So once you learn those, and uh, I'm very thankful when I started in marching band. Well, before marching band, I did concert band. I played clarinet and saxophone. And so, and again, my grandmother played piano and, you know, an organ. So I was around all of those melody instruments. And because of that, I got to read melody instruments pretty well. So I can play piano pretty decent. I'm not great at it, but I can definitely play chords and make up songs and just basic stuff. And I know chord structures and inversions and stuff like that. But, you know, I think that just helped me be an even more well-rounded musician. So you played clarinet and saxophone. You weren't a drummer in the marching band? I was a drummer in the marching band, but I was I played that in the concert band. So in yeah, in school you've got concert band, um, you know, until you can march, and then in the summers you've got marching band up until the fall. So clarinet, bass clarinet, and saxophone I played in high school and concert band, and then in marching band I was in charge of the pit, which the pit is all the drums that are too big to march. So like timpani, drum set, marimbas. Uh, concert bass drums, you know, things like that. The stuff that all the parents help carry to the field. Yes, exactly. Yes, we had a whole crew yeah, doing that. Well, Jim, we really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on Top Hill Recording Podcast and, and talk to us. It's very interesting to talk to you, and I'm sure we could talk for three hours. I know. Hey, have me back anytime. I love to, You know I love to talk. Well, <laughs> so, well, once all this quarantine stuff's over, we'd love to have you up here. I got to ask you I absolutely will be back. So yeah, sure. Did I read on your Instagram that you just, you, you like were leading a drum circle or something this past weekend? or what? what? Uh, Okay, so I will. I also do a lot of percussion stuff, and I'm really big into how music heals people. Um, I have been, again, when I was teaching music, I was asked if I would take a student that had autism and was on the spectrum, and I said yes. And so I taught that kid for a couple years, and I saw these major health changes with him via the drum lessons. So oh, I started wow. videotaping that with the with the okay from his mom and uh, started showing the world that because I had not seen that anywhere online and I also was like wow the world's got to see this you know there were no nobody had done studies yet on autism and drumming or how drumming affects your health and all this stuff so I uh, got into how does music and how can my drumming heal others kind of thing and I started doing hand drum clinics I went into hospitals and um, I would do hand drum clinics for like sexually abused girls ages 6 through 17 uh, here in Kentucky and uh, you know and I started to understand that vibration definitely has a lot to do with healing and the drum in itself was used as a healing tool for centuries you know way back like prehistoric times even so I get asked often if I will drum for things like, you know, full moon rituals. I've drummed for the pagans, you know, they're having their things going on. Uh, I've been to women's drum circles and help lead those. And, um, you know, I, I'm a true proponent of anytime you have a campfire, you should definitely have a drum around. Oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So that's what I was doing over the weekend. I was uh, uh, a lady was leading a women's drum circle where they all had drums and uh, we were banging around and. Uh, using them for meditative purposes and healing purposes. And I do that often, and I really enjoy that. I would love to awesome. do that. Anything supernatural happen? No, I wish. <laughs> Just a I lot have, of healing, actually, man. Yeah, a lot of healing. I will say I have had some weird stuff in the past, though, I mean, happen, but lately not not so much. 
your experience with the uh, autistic boy could be considered supernatural. Yes. Yeah. It is amazing what music can do. It really is a healing it's thing. a healing thing. Yeah, Absolutely. and I forget who says it. I forget who says this famous quote. You can look it up. But there's a famous quote out there that says, music is the healing force of the universe. And I really believe that because it is the it is the universal language. Absolutely. It's the one thing that I can go to anywhere in the world and have a discussion with someone about and us be okay. That's it. You know, we, we might disagree on politics or religion or whatever it is, but we will always be able to find a group or um, a musical something that we enjoy together. Absolutely. So I do believe it is a healing force. And, and, you know, I, I'm going to try to use my platform as long as I can um, for it to be a healing thing for others. So we got a date then sometime in the future. We're going to, I'm down we're with going it. to come into studio and we're going to have uh, we're going to have a, a kit and a cajon and uh, sure. some, oh. some congas and Jen is going to give us a lesson. We're going to make some, I'm gonna awesome I'm gonna finally beats. learn how to be a drummer. Anytime that you have a get together, I'm gonna be the drummer <laughs> cool. in the back, and I'm gonna be on beat this time. <laughs> hey, right on! Um, next time I'm in Louisville and I can come set in with you all, I'll totally bring my djembe and we can all jam out Hell on yeah. air or oh, whatever great. you want to do. Yeah, you yeah. provide the djembe, I'll provide the bonfire. I <laughs> got go. it. I, I'm all about that. Heck okay. yeah! So, Jim, we usually go out with a uh, with a song. Sure. How about I send you the one that I'm probably going to release for Pride that's called LGBTQAI+, because I'm making fun of all the letters. Awesome. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. And it is Pride Month, so I'm about to, I'm hoping to get a video dropped um, before the end of June. Happy Pride Month and congratulations, and I love the song. I can't wait to hear the song. I love the title. <laughs> well, the song is me basically educating people and making fun of all the letters, because everybody gets lost after the T. Nobody knows what letters are coming next, and they keep... <laughs> They keep adding letters, so I'm just kind of poking fun at it. <laughs> longer, uh, yeah. yeah, and I'm asking questions while educating you on what the letters actually are. Heck yeah. If that's getting longer, I guess we're getting more inclusive, right? Heck yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, I and mean, that's kind of what it questions. The whole song kind of questions all that. All right. Well, Jen Yates, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it, guys. Hey, thank I hope you. to get to jam with you soon. Can't wait. We will. Bye. See everybody next week. Please identify me as Ginger's kidneys is dead. She does not exist. Rest, Rest in, in peace. peace. Yeah.